Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military generals who ever lived, conquered almost the entire known world with his vast army. And one night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep, and he left his tent to walk around the campgrounds. As he was walking, he came across a soldier asleep, on guard duty, a serious offense. The penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was, in some cases, instant death. The commanding officer sometimes poured kerosene on the sleeping soldier and lit it. The soldier began to wake up as Alexander the Great approached him. Recognizing who was standing in front of him, the young man feared for his life. Do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? Alexander the Great asked the soldier. Yes, sir, the soldier responded in a quivering voice. Soldier, what's your name? demanded Alexander the Great. Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great repeated the question, What is your name? My name is Alexander, sir, the soldier repeated. A third time and more loudly, Alexander the Great asked, What is your name? A third time, the soldier meekly said, My name is Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great then looked the young soldier straight in the eye. Soldier, he said with intensity, either change your name or change your conduct. Guys, too many of us are asleep at our posts. Too many of us, we, we cannot be on guard duty while we are sleeping. We must change our conduct when we realize who we are in Christ. Warriors. You see, we've been talking about how belief changes our behavior. That who we are affects how we live. That our identity affects our interactions. Well, let me tell you who Paul finishes this section of telling you who you are. You're a warrior. And I think just like me, probably, most of us in this room are frankly asleep, not realizing that we're in a battle, that there's a war raging on around us, and we're asleep on guard duty. Who we are in Christ, who we were made to be as warriors. So today we get to talk about the armor of God. The text I'm going to speech, speak to you from is Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, and it says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In the section in your booklet, it says, Walk in Strength and the Final Greetings. And in the section in Walk in Strength, I'm going to talk to you today about the nature of the engagement, the nature of the enemy, and the nature of our equipment. Interestingly enough, the historical setting from which Paul writes this, do you know where Paul is? He says it later in the text here in, in Ephesians 6. He's in chains, he's in prison, and he's chained to a Roman guard. Here's what I think this why this matters to you guys today. Paul is writing about how you're a warrior in Christ, and he's chained to a Roman guard. He's in prison. I don't care what circumstance you guys find yourself in. I don't care what chains are on you today. God sees you as a warrior. Do you see yourself that way? You notice in chapter 6, it starts off in the nursery. If you, if you remember from last week, it starts off, children, obey your parents in the Lord, and it ends up in the armory. It starts in the nursery and it ends in the armory. We were never meant to stay as children in Christ. We're meant to grow up and be warriors. That's why God has called us to. 
You know, it's interesting that there have been 268 years and 4,000 years of recorded history where there was no war. War is natural. It's a reflection of our fallenness. War is conflict. And I think Christ wants to redeem our image of war. We were made to war, guys. We just got to make sure we're fighting the right enemy. And it's interesting, too, to me that in wartime living, it's not about comfort. It's about combat. In wartime living, it doesn't matter how long you live, but how you live. Will you war? So let's look at the nature of the engagement. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Notice how this starts. For we do not wrestle. And I think for many of us, that's how the verse ends. Because we do not wrestle. There is a war going on around us, and we don't wrestle. We're so oblivious to it. We're focused on what's in front of us. If you're anything like me, I'm just focused on what i got to do in my day. I'm not thinking about the broader scope of what the reality that I'm facing. And when you understand that there is a war, you adopt an attitude of wartime living. You know, you, you, Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 2. He said, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You adopt a wartime mentality. It's not about comfort. It's about combat. So who do we fight? You know, notice here, it's not the flesh Paul has in mind. He said explicitly, it's not against flesh and blood. Ephesians 4, we talked about the flesh, right? What he is talking about here is spiritual in nature. You know, the other day, uh, about two weeks ago, my wife and I, we, we got into it. We, full confession, we got into a conflict. We were going at each other, and she was so upset with me. And then that made me so upset with her. I know y'all have never been there. Y'all can't relate to this. But she was so mad at me, and I got so frustrated that she was mad at me. And, guys, I look back. I, I was losing my temper. I wanted to tell her who, she, who I thought she was and everything wrong with her, and, and I'm sure she wanted to say the same thing to me. It got so bad, she's like, I'm calling community right now. And I said, great, call them. Let's talk about it. That's the point at which we were at. <laughs> but here's the reality, guys. We look back. I asked her the other day. I was like, hey, do you remember what we were arguing about? She said, no. I don't even know why I was upset. And I look back, and I, I don't either. I, to this day, could not tell you why my wife was upset with me. What I do know is that there is an enemy, and that enemy is my problem. My wife is not my problem. Your boss is not your problem. Your coworker is not your problem. Your children are not your problem. You have an enemy, and we must fight. You know, it says here, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. There is a whole system, a hierarchy, set up against us. And we don't even know it. So where do we fight? Notice, it's in heavenly places. Ephesians 1.3 says, as, as we've read through the book of Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing, where? In heavenly places. 
Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In heavenly places. Ephesians 2.6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him, where? In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You see, this is Paul's special language. It's a euphemism for the spiritual realm. In chapter 1, he says our blessings are there. Jesus has been seated there. In chapter 2, you and I have been seated there with him. And in chapter 3, we saw that the angels operate here. Now he tells us that the demonic realm operates there. This is a happening place. Put it another way, everything physical and visible is preceded by something spiritual and invisible. This is where the war takes place. And without identifying the invisible spiritual root, we will be thrown off by the visible physical fruit. When my wife was upset with me, my problem was not my wife. There was something spiritual going on, and if I didn't address it spiritually, I'll never deal with the physical. I could have argued her into a corner, and it wouldn't have mattered. Wouldn't have changed a thing, because there's a war going on. So how do we fight, guys? Be strong in the Lord and in his might and put on the whole armor of Christ. You see, men didn't go to war without armor and then say, oh, there's an enemy here. I need to run home and put the armor back on. That'd be kind of foolish, right? Notice that it says, be strong, where? In the Lord. This is not our strength, guys. And let me tell you something, if you try to wrestle against the enemy in your own strength, you'll lose every time. You're not strong enough. I don't care how strong you think you are, but if you are in God's strength, you can defeat the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says it this way, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty for pulling down strongholds. Guys, are we fighting? If so, are we fighting in the right realm? And are you fighting against the right enemy? That's the nature of our engagement. Next, let's talk about the nature of the enemy. Ephesians 6.11 says it this way, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Schemes of the devil. Hey guys, I'll just be frank with you. It's one thing if I find out you're messing with me. You know, I'll go to you and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it and you know, we'll go toe to toe. But when I find out that you've been planning and that you've been scheming and that you've been premeditating not just how to get me but my wife and my kids and my whole family and my office, you're crazy if you think I can stand there and let that happen. i got to go fight. I can't put up with that. And that's what the devil's doing. I must go to war. Notice it says the devil. Let's talk about what the Bible says about the devil for a second. Did you know something that Satan doesn't appear in the first two chapters of the Bible, nor does he appear in the last two chapters of the Bible? Why? Because he is not the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Only Christ is. In the garden, the first thing the devil did was he misrepresented God to man. And then in Job, he misrepresents man to God. Peter said that, he, that Satan is like a roaring lion roaming around, seeking someone to devour. Here's some news for you guys. Satan is not a lion. It says that he's like a roaring lion. 
only in Revelation 5, there's only one line in the Bible, and that's the line of the tribe of Judah, and that's Jesus. It is not the devil. Paul said he roams around like the angel of light. Man, he can fool you. He can make you think that he's real and that he's for God, but he's not. He's called Lucifer, the adversary, the devil, Satan, the day star. He's also called the thief, a murderer. In Ephesians, he's called the prince of the power of the air. That's his dominion. But let me tell you something. He can rule there, but I know the one who overrules there. That may be where his dominion is, but I know the king of kings. And his name isn't the devil, it's Jesus. And while Satan is more than us, he's never more than God. It says in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You know, when you have the Holy Spirit, guys, the, the enemy doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to look at one piece of the fruit, patience. You know that the devil cannot produce supernaturally Holy Spirit-empowered patience? I think this is why the scriptures say, resist the devil and he'll flee. Because he can't stick around long enough to find out what's going to happen. When you're full of the Spirit, and you put on the whole armor of God, man, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How do we, how do we get this guy? Matthew 12, 29 says this, Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So God's calling us to something, guys. I think the greatest trick the enemy ever played on us is that he makes us think he doesn't exist, that he that has no effect on our lives, Guys, I, I confess, man, I was blown away this, this week in Ephesians 6. I didn't realize that there is a war going on all around me, and I am so consumed and focused with what's happening right in front of me. I miss the broader picture. There is a war. Will I fight? That's the nature of the enemy. Let's talk about the nature of the equipment. I'm going to have some help on this. But Ephesians 6, 13 through 20 says this, Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, we get it, stand. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Guys, here's the reality. It's not enough to know about the armor. You have to put it on. And notice, it doesn't say put on parts of the armor, does it? Did you catch it? It says put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may stand, that you may withstand, and that you may understand. Paul wants you to stand firm, my friend. And you cannot do it without the armor. Something interesting about this armor is that first century church 
You know, the, the Roman guard was ubiquitous. He was across all the parts of the Roman Empire. And so everybody reading this would have seen a, a Roman soldier. But I think first, uh, first century Christians, they were reading the Scripture. And I think they knew the Old Testament. And so Isaiah 59, 16 through 18 would have been very apparent to them. They probably would have had this image in their mind when they read this. And I'll read it to you. It says this, He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no man to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, and to the coastlands he will render repayment. This was the armor that God himself put on to come against his enemies and the nation of Israel for rejecting him. This same armor that God himself put on, Paul's saying he's now giving that armor to us. We now get to wear the armor of God and go fight against the enemy. This is amazing. So, let's look at this armor. I've got my friend uh, coming here. He's going to help me look at this armor. Uh, and as he walks up, I think traditionally, thank you, thank you Josh, Traditionally, there are six pieces of armor, right? And you probably noticed them, and, you, and the book has a great outlet. You look good, Josh. Uh, it, I would argue, though, that there's not six. I would say that there's seven. And let me, let me explain why. Let's look. First, he said to take up the what? Belt of truth. And so when I look at this, here's the belt. And you would put this belt on. So, Josh, I'm going to have you put this belt on. There's a button on the side there. Just connect those. The belt of truth. What did the belt do? It was tied around his tunic and it supports all the armor. And notice it's the belt of truth. Truth is how we defeat the father of lies. Truth is what holds everything together. Truth is what we need to stand firm against the enemy. You would put on the belt of truth first. Secondly, he would say, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, guys, what does the breastplate protect? The breastplate protects all the vital organs on the, on the soldier, right? It protects the, the lungs, the heart, anything that's vital to him living and breathing. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, this breastplate, this one doesn't, but typically they weighed about 70 pounds. And they covered all those vital organs, and notice, guys, this is God's righteousness. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's God's righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's not us trying to walk around uh, carrying righteousness on our shoulders, trying to earn it. No, we put on the, our, our God's righteousness, and it's supported by the belt of truth. Now, 70 pounds is held up by truth. And so anytime the enemy wants to tell you that you're not good enough, you remind him that you have the breastplate on of God's righteousness, and it's supported by the belt of truth. Next, he said to put on the shoes of readiness. And so the, these shoes had little spikes in them, and the booklet did a great job of talking about this, but it allowed for traction. It helped the soldier stand firm. You know, in, in Romans it says that how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel, right? These are the shoes of readiness with uh, the shoes of, of readiness that you put on, and, and they're given by the gospel of peace. You know, how beautiful are the feet that carry those of the gospel. 
But even more than that, in Romans 16, it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Man, that's powerful. Do you have on the shoes of the gospel? Are, you, are your feet ready at any point in time when the enemy comes? You're standing firm and ready to go to war? Next, he says to put, pick up the shield of faith. And the shield is interesting, right? Because it was, this one's a little smaller, but the shield of faith would cover the whole body. And it was, a, it was able, it says, uh, to protect the whole body. It was your main protection in battle. And I would tell you guys from a spiritual application, faith is our defense against the fiery darts of the enemy. Let me ask you a question. What is, what are the fiery darts that the enemy's firing at you right now? What is he shooting your way? What do you need to pick up the shield of faith with? Then he says to put on the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation was interesting, right? Because it covered the head. And what is the head? It's one of the most vital places on your body. The head is, is where you think. The head uh, is, is where, if your brain gets damaged, you're done. And notice it's the helmet of salvation. Guys, you must know that you are saved in Christ. If you don't realize that you have salvation, the enemy can destroy you. So I would ask you this. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're on your way to heaven? Do you know that Christ, are your sins forgiven? Because if, if they're not, the enemy is going to send a massive blow your way, and you're not going to be able to stand against it. And then sixthly, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. You know, this is the only offensive weapon mentioned. It is also defensive. You could use the sword to deflect blows. But the sword of the Spirit was an offensive weapon as well. This is the Word of God, and this is how we go on the offense. Guys, do you know God's Word? Is God's Word so in you that at any moment the enemy comes against you, you know exactly what to say? You can draw it up out of you. And I, I look at Jesus in the garden, excuse me, in the wilderness, and the enemy came against him. And you know what Jesus did? He quoted Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8. He used the sword of the Spirit to defeat the enemy. Do you know God's word? And lastly, I think the seventh piece of the armor, which traditionally not many people talk about, is praying at all times in the Spirit. Notice that Paul says you should be praying. Why? I think from a military standpoint, this is you staying connected to your commanding officer. This is you knowing your orders. This is you knowing what to do. For us spiritually, all of the armor should be put on in the closet of prayer. Prayer should inform all that we do. And Paul says, hey, pray for me, but also pray for all these other people. that are, Pray for Tychicus and all the rest of them. He's saying, hey, pray for all of the saints. Why? Because I think Paul didn't just say prayer was about him. I think Paul said prayer was about everyone. Because a Roman soldier never went into war alone. And you are a fool if you think you can go fight the enemy alone. There are no 007 Christians out there. There's, there is the Roman soldier who fought in the Roman guard. Are you in a guard? 
Do you have men that you're fighting with? What's your prayer life look like? Do you go in into the closet of prayer and put on the armor of God? What are you wearing? One of our, our former elders says it this way, never leave your house naked. Every morning, guys, I don't know about you, maybe you're better than I am, but every morning I need to go into my closet and I need to get dressed. I don't go to work naked. I, every morning I have to go hit my knees and, and I have to seek God, I have to serve him, I have to know his word. I think in the Christian walk there are three things that God has called us to. First is worship of him. Second is witnessing towards others. And third is warfare against the enemy. Will you fight? Will you take up the armor? Never leave your house naked. Spend time alone with God. Why is this important? Guys, I think Jesus is the perfect example of this. He is the perfect example of fighting the enemy. What did Jesus do? He was led into the spirit by excuse me, he was led into the wilderness by the spirit. And the enemy comes against him. And the enemy starts throwing these darts at him. Starts throwing these darts. And what, is, what does Jesus do? Jesus takes only the book of Deuteronomy and Psalms, and he defeats the enemy. Did you know that Jesus is a warrior? He's coming back, guys. He's coming back as a warrior, and we get to come with him. That's what we're made for. We're made to fight. We know how the story ends. We know that in the end, he's going to win. And guys, we don't fight for victory. As your book says, we fight from victory. The victory is already yours in Christ. He defeated the enemy at the cross. There's nothing left. All we have to do is stand firm, put on the whole armor of God, and we will defeat the enemy. Guys, will you war? It's time to get dressed. It's time to go to war. The enemy cannot stand when we put on the whole armor of God. Let's go. Let's go. 